All right. Green means go. Our sermon today is going to be taken from Luke 6, verses 39 through 42. That's found on page 1097 in your Black Pew Bible or on page 9 in your worship folder, if you'd please rise out of honor of God's Word. And those of you who are watching this on video, the reason we have all of this stuff up is because we're having VBS this week. And so uh, thank you for all of those of you who helped with that. Luke 6, verses 39 through 42. And I read in Jesus' name, Luke 6, 39 through 42. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. To take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I ask for wisdom as we come to study your word, Lord, that we might apply these things rightly into our lives. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come to us enabling us to apply these things rightly into our lives for we need these truths. Lord, and we pray that you would bless them to us. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to I wanna start out today with an apology, with a confession. And it has been, it has been brought to my attention uh, through various means that I as well, that I am not the pastor that I could be. How about that? We'll just start with that. And that there needs to be better communication. And so I will, I will acknowledge that. I haven't done as good of a job communicating as pastor to the congregation, the things that are going on in this congregation as I ought. Uh, I have not done as good of a job of leading the congregation if in the dichotomy between decentralized command and micromanaging, I have moved too far towards decentralized command and not taken the helm as I ought. And so I apologize. Things hadn't, there hadn't been any problems with the way that I'd done it. And then we started to see problems come about and chaos started to come in. And so I apologize. I have to move with my leadership style. And so I ask for your patience as I strive to do that, strive to be a better leader of Hosanna. Because as pastor, this is my calling. And as I was praying about the stuff going on in Hosanna, all of the things happening, good things happening, not good things happening, it, it struck me that I am the leader of Hosanna. Christ is leader above me, but I am called to be the spiritual leader here in this world. I am his representative. And so I need to be submissive to him and be wise towards all of you. And so I will strive to do better where I fail. I, as I stand here today, I give you permission and I promise you, I will not be offended to correct me when I need to be corrected. 
If I haven't been communicating as I ought, speak to me. If I haven't been taking leadership where I ought, speak to me. If I start micromanaging, please speak to me. (laughs) That's not in my nature because I can't juggle all those variables. But if I start moving too much the other way, speak to me. Because it's through that that we grow. And so I am sorry that I have not done as good of a job as I can. And I thank those of you who have brought it to my attention. Because I have room to grow by the grace of God. And by the grace of God, we can grow. And we can become more united and we can become more for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because that's what the purpose of all of this is, right? We're not here to grow Hosanna. We're here to grow the kingdom of God. How does that happen? Well, it starts with me. And so I find it funny that this is happening with this sermon. It's like, okay, God, what are you doing? Blind. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So how do we know what to do? So this is, this is important because we've all been taught somewhere along the line how to interact with this world, how to interact with other people, how to interact with ourselves, how to interact with our emotions and our intellect and our will, how to interact with God. We've all been taught to do this. The, the problem is, how do we know that what we're doing is right? How can we know in an absolute sense? We can't. We can't know in an absolute sense by ourselves through our own observations because what is God telling us here? You in and of yourself, me in and of myself, I am blind. This is who I am. I am one who is blind. I don't understand this world and all of its complexities. How many of you can say that you understand all of the complexities of this world? I can't even say I can understand my wife. We've been married for 12 years. I got it right. I, you know, this is the most intimate relationship I've ever had. And I can't say that I understand the ways of my wife and how to properly interact with her. I just actually insulted her earlier this week. Um, you know, really, this, and thankfully she was kind enough to forgive me, but, you know, this, I don't, I don't know how to interact with this world. And so, who am I then to say, Dale, this is how you've got to do it. Who am I to say, Kevin, this is how you've got to do it. You know, because of my own observations, this is what I've seen. This is what philosophers have been trying to do for centuries, trying to figure out how to interact with this world. Do you know what? None of them have ever gotten it all right. They might have gotten little portions, but that's by the grace of God. That's called common grace. But So we need correction. But, you know, correction from each other isn't enough because Believe it or not, the people of this world, do they see? Do the other people of this world see too? If I can stand here and say, you know what? I am by my very nature blind. Can I then go to Gene and say, hey, but Gene can see. Gene understands all of this stuff. Gene understands everything. Just ask Cheryl. No, not quite. He understands Cheryl. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Gene understands enough to be silent. (laughs) Demonstration of a wise man. So where do we, like what do we do? If we can't go to Gene, who can we go to? Who can correct us? Who can set us in an absolute right path? 
You know, and that's important because all of the people in this world, and this is what I was referencing last Sunday when I was talking about psychedelics, these people seeking psychedelics. One of the things, Nathaniel and I were reading a paper about psychedelics. I, I think you ran into it somewhere and you sent it to me. That there's evidence that psychedelics, all they do is reinforce what you already are thinking. And so they're not bringing you into the spiritual realm. They're just reinforcing your thoughts in your own mind. They're opening you up to your own thoughts, which is weird. And I'm not going to get into all of the, what all that means. But we in this world are all stuck in a world of blind people. So what do we need? We need revelation. We need someone outside of this world. Someone that sees the whole instead of maybe a little part or if you're like me, in reality, nothing. Because I don't understand the things around me. I don't know why they're happening. And so we need someone outside and that's where revelation comes in. And this is why Jesus said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? I can't lead you in and of myself, by myself, by my own wisdom, by my own thinking and my own feeling and my own whatever, by my own work, I can't lead you into rightness. I need someone outside to speak truth into the world. We need someone outside to open our eyes. We need someone outside to bring revelation. And that's what revelation is. That's what the mystery of godliness is. It's something that would never have been found out had it not been given intentionally into this world just like right now none of you could ever figure out what i'm thinking at this moment if i don't tell you so also it is with god we can't figure god out we can't and if we can't figure god out we can't figure out then how to properly interact with this world because this world is created to glorify god to reveal god And if I don't know God, how do I know how to interact with this world? And so I need someone outside. I need someone who can see to lead me. We need someone we can see to lead us. You need someone who can see to lead you. This is what we need. Because you know what? The way that I was taught to interact with this world, it isn't always right. The way that mom and dad dealt with conflict, isn't always right. The way that grandma and grandpa dealt with conflict isn't always right. The way that mom and dad dealt with money isn't always right. The way that mom and dad treated their land isn't always right. I can't think of any places where I'd really pick on them being wrong in the land thing, but you know, it, it isn't always right. How do I know? We need God to reveal these truths to us because those truths actually affect the whole of our world. Does that make sense? This is who we are. And so what pride can we take How can I say, well, I figured this out? No. If you actually know something, it's been revealed to you by heaven. Otherwise, you're probably wrong. Sorry. It's like, well, it's worked, but it won't always work. It won't work in every situation. You don't really know it. Any questions? This is who we are. We need to stop and we need to take assessment of that. Who am I? What do I need? I need a teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And here, what does our teacher do? Who is our teacher? 
Who is the one who has come into this world? You know, that's what John 1, 1 is talking about. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The truth about what's inside of God, that's that logos, um, the truth of who, what God thinks, how God interacts with this world, how God wants this world to interact with him. That became flesh. God spoke it forth. I, the, the depths of the complexity of all of that, I don't even, I don't understand. These things are too great for me. Um, but the reality is, God brought it, God brought the Son into the world so that we then might know something. And that something is God. Because the Son reveals the Father. The Son reveals the Father. And so we now can actually have knowledge. Knowledge of how to interact with this world. Why, why did I start this? So when I was confronted with these things going on in Hosanna, I had options. One of those options is to become angry. I can become mad because my feelings were hurt because I realized that I wasn't the person who I could be. I could have just become mad and attacked. That's an option. People do that. Have you ever corrected someone and then been attacked for it? Yeah, I could have done that. But you know, that's not how God would have us interact with it, is it? Is that a godly way of interacting with correction? Attack the person who corrected you. Shoot the messenger. No, that's not the godly way to do it. So how do we know how to interact with this world? Well, we have to humble ourselves to the one who actually gives us knowledge. What does God say? Walk humbly. You know, that is what it is. Am, am I perfect? Well, no. So if someone corrects me, how should I interact with that? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for correcting me. Thank you, God, for directing me. Thank you, God, because if this is true, then it's a gift from him. Because this is how God wants us to interact with this world. And so you can't, I don't want anyone to sit there and say, wow, Joe really did a good job. He, he confessed in front of the congregation, apologized. No. Only reason I did that is because God led me. Not because I'm afraid of, well, I am afraid of you all. No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> just Katie. She's got a baby. That's scary. <laughs> Gerson just found a meme that said, um, if you think you want a child, go and take a nap. If you enjoyed that, you don't want a child. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I understand that. But it's my arrogance that would say, you know, this is me. I have walked rightly. Or it's my arrogance that says, you know, this is what God says. This is what Jesus has revealed. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way my parents taught me. You know, that's arrogance too. That's saying that my parents are wiser than God. Well, my parents never dealt with their problems. They always hid them. So I'm not going to deal with my problems. I'm going to hide them. What is that? That's arrogance. God, my parents are smarter than you. I'm thankful I'm from them and not from you. Because that's what that is. Is that right? Is that righteous? Is that holy? No. That's arrogance. No, we can't rise above our teacher when our teacher is God. You know, some of you might have become smarter than like your math teachers or your English teachers, although I can't say that I ever rose to any of those levels. But when it comes to this, our teacher as to how to interact with this world, it is pure, undefiled arrogance when we say, God, I'm going to follow my way instead of your way. 
Well, you mean I have to love my wife? I can't just expect her to serve me? That's arrogance. Well, I have to be submissive to my husband? I can't just expect him to serve me? Well, that's arrogance. This is arrogance. God, I'm not going to follow your way. My way's better. That's arrogance. That's saying I'm above my teacher. I know better. What's the highest thing that we could ever be? Likeness. We can't rise above our teacher. So what do we do? We strive to become like him. This is sanctification. It's to become like Christ. To look like Christ. The Eastern Orthodox call it deification. Struggle with that word in modern English, but whatever. You know, it's to look like Jesus in the way that we interact with this world, in the way we interact with each other, in the way we interact with the Father, that we would be like Christ. Think about that. This is what we're called to. This is the highest good that we could ever achieve is likeness to Jesus. It's not self-adulation. It's not the knowledge of self or the self-aggrandizement or what's that other self? Uh, self-realization. Self-realization is not the highest we can ever achieve. Christ's realization is the highest we could ever achieve in every layer of our lives. When it comes to the way we interact with our employers, our employees, our spouses, our children, our neighbors, ourselves, our land, our homes, how would Christ have me deal with these things? What would Christ do in this situation? How would he have me live this out? That is the highest good. How would Jesus have me interact with these emotions? How would Jesus interact with these emotions? You think Jesus would become bitter and frustrated with people? No, he'd love them. You know, that's important. You think Jesus would be worried about what's going on in our government? I doubt it. I think he'd pray for him. I doubt he would sit there and worry. How would Jesus have me interact with this? How would Jesus interact with this? When you are fully trained at the top of what you can be, what are you going to look like? You look like Jesus. Not like the picture of Jesus, but like the image of Christ. This is what we're called to. This is what you're called to. This is the goal of our lives. You know, Josh is graduating. What should he do with his life? Become like Jesus. Easy peasy. Maybe not. But that goal is subsidiary. It's supposed to serve all the other goals. It's supposed to be the one that's above so that all other goals serve that. So that it directs all of our lives. How do I interact with my money? What's going to make me more like Jesus? How do I interact with my time? What's going to make me more like Jesus? We're students. Kevin. Well, would Jesus be worried about what's going, would he allow that worry to exist in him? So, good question. Emotions. How many of you have emotions? Any of you? I have emotions. How many of you love interacting with your emotions? No, I don't either. <laughs> Levi does. I'm glad Levi does. Um, some people love interacting with other people's emotions, but don't love interacting with their own. So worry. What, what do I mean by worry? So that's 
usually the way that we would define worry is fear, a low-level fear. You know, usually by the time it rises to anxiety, it kind of is fear that controls our lives. But worry is a low-level fear that we live in. But instead, so that fear could be legitimate. Like, I am afraid that our country is falling apart. Yeah, I have that fear. You know, that fear is there. Do I live in that fear? No, because that fear tells me that there is a potential bad. There's a potential that I don't know how to interact with. I can't say that it would be bad or good because I don't know the future. But a potential that would be difficult, at very least, that's out there. So what do I do with that fear? Do I just sit there and twiddle my thumbs and hope it never comes? No. We take that fear and we say, thank you, God, for revealing to me that there is a potential here that I don't really want to deal with. I'm going to start praying about this. And then, knowing that that's fear, I'm going to pray that God would grant me the strength, no matter what happens, to walk through it. I'm going to pray that God wouldn't allow, if it's his will, that God wouldn't allow our country to fall apart. I do pray for that. I pray that God would bring unity back into our nation. I pray for that because I need to take that fear and do something with it. And since I do not have the capability to go to Washington and knock some heads together and hopefully knock sense into them, yeah, no, I don't have that capability. Um, Physically, I might, but I would be arrested. (laughs) So what do I do? I take it and I bring it to God because God has power over these things. And then not only that, I ask the question, so then what do I need to be? What should I, how should I change in light of that? Well, the best thing when we exist in chaos, when chaos comes, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to be resilient. All right, I'm going to build my friendships. I'm going to build the people around me. I'm going to make sure that I'm not in debt. I'm going to strive to be resilient in all areas of my life. And so I'm going to build my relationship with God. I'm going to build my relationship with all of you because I'm afraid that our greater relationships are going to fall apart. So what are we going to need? Local relationships. So if I have fear, if I have worry, do something about it instead of just living in it. If I have anger, I deal with it early instead of letting it build up. And then I ask myself the question, why did I become angry with that person instead of being patient with that person? You know, because our emotions are teaching us things about inside of us. They're speaking forth what's inside. And so emotions are hard to deal with because we don't often want to know what's inside. Does that make sense? Any other questions? I don't want to go through all of the emotions. But all our emotions are given to us for a reason. It's just like, so if, if we think about our lives in terms of, you know, the, the rational, intellectual, intentional, and then the emotional, um, reactive, and uh, pattern-based, the, the reactive would be like the wife and the intentional is supposed to be like the husband. That's the masculine and the feminine. And so as a husband, if I spend all of my time ignoring my wife, does that make for a healthy marriage? At least she won't like it. <laughs> and she'll make sure I don't like it. <laughs> so what does that mean? If I spend all my time ignoring and pushing down and shutting up my emotions, what are they going to do to my life? They're going to wreck my life. And so we need to, these things need to be communicating within us. They need to be working in unity and harmony like a marriage is supposed to be. Husband, wife, children, so also inside of us, our intellect, our emotions, and our will are all supposed to be working in unity. We're all supposed to be seeking the same goal. 
And so we need to be listening to all of them and training all of them and interacting with all of them. We need to be correcting them. I need to correct my mind when my emotions are telling me, hey, Joe, this doesn't seem right. So I need to correct my thinking. I need to go and re reevaluate that. Yeah. Because this is what God does. You know, this is why God tells me to love my wife. He, you know, that's how I'm supposed to interact with God. That's how God's supposed to interact with me. That's how I'm supposed to interact with my wife. All of these things, they all flow together and they're, it, it's all right out of Scripture. So, sorry, that was more of a rabbit trail than I anticipated. But what do we do? How do we deal with these things? Do we deal with them the way that our world tells us to? Because our world says, you have emotions? Well, what, what is Freud saying? Freud's interaction with emotions have affected the way that our culture interacts with our emotions. It says, you know what? You want to do it? Do it. If you suppress that, if you keep it back, it's just going to wreck your life. And he's right. If you suppress it. But suppression isn't the only option. Do I either let Kirsten do whatever she wants or let Kirsten do nothing of what she wants? Would either of those be a good marriage? No. So we seek to work in unity and in harmony. So would Jesus have worried about our government? No. He would have done something about it. What did he do? He did something about it. He trained the disciples. He preached the gospel. He changed the world. So what are we called to do? Same thing. Train ourselves. Train others. Preach the gospel. Change the world. Any other questions? We're already on a third slide. Logs. Logs. We all know this one. This one's easy to understand, right? If I've got a problem, what am I supposed to do with it? I'm supposed to fix it, right? You know, it's interesting, and this is something that I've consistently found all throughout my life as I've done counseling, as I've interacted with myself, as I've just interacted with people and heard them vent. Um, usually the thing that annoys me most about other people is the thing that I like, like least in myself. And so you, you know what annoys me sometimes in other people? Disorganization. You know who is also disorganized? Look in my office. <laughs> I'm disorganized. That annoys me in me and so then as I interact with another disorganized person, I'm going to get annoyed with their disorganization. Why? Because they're actually reflecting me. It's my pride that says, I have the right to be disorganized, not you. Your disorganization is making my disorganization worse. So you need to fix you. My lack of communication, your lack of communication is making it my lack of communication worse. So you need to fix you. Your immaturity is bringing out my immaturity. So we need to fix you. Your desire to control is affecting my desire to control. So what do we need to do? Fix you. And that's how we interact with this world. We assume that we should be able to just be the way we are and then we need to change our environment to allow us to be the way we are. That is the perversion of subduing the world. That's the perversion of it. Because God was talking to perfect people there. And so I assume that I should be able to be whoever I want to be and that you guys need to change so that I can then be the immature, disorganized, non-communicative, 
non-leadership person that I want. Sound good? All right, that's the plan. No, that's not the way that this works. Jesus says, I need to apply these truths to me. If I'm annoyed at your immaturity, you know what that means? I need to check my immaturity. I, I tell the story, of, there was a pastor and I that didn't get along. I haven't interacted with him now for quite a number of years. And uh, when I was in Bible school, and, and he and I butted heads quite often. And I couldn't figure out why. And I, it finally dawned on me, it was his pride. We wouldn't have had any problems had it not been for his pride. Then later it dawned on me, we wouldn't have had any problem. His pride would not have been a problem if it wasn't for my pride. So his pride interacted with my pride, and that didn't work out very well. And I haven't interacted with him for years, so I don't know if he's forgiven me by now. We've gotten over it. You know, I've, whatever. One of these days we'll interact again. But you know, had I been humble, his pride wouldn't have mattered. Does Jesus say, you know, I just can't get along with them proud people? I'm not going to interact with them at all. Thankfully not. Jesus says, I'm going to love the proud people so that they can learn to be humble like me. Jesus says that. Joe doesn't say that because Joe's not humble yet. Joe's working on it, but not there. I need to apply these things to me. If I'm irritated at someone else's desire to control, what does that mean? I need to learn to let go. Yeah, I know. It's In all situations, no. There are places where I'm called to be responsible. I can't say, you know what? I'm not going to pastor this church because I'm going to let you all learn. Or I'm going to exercise non-control. No, God has given me that responsibility. I can't shirk those duties. But other places, I don't need to control the conversation. Do I? I don't need to control all areas. Do I? No. So I need to learn to let go. Things aren't going my way. I need to learn to be flexible. I need to learn to change. I need to humble myself before I can teach anyone else. And I need to then walk in these things. I need to walk in those ways. I need to know how this works. How has God called me to do this? What does that look like when I apply it into my life? What is, you know, what does communication look like when I apply it into my life? If I can't do that as God would have me do it, how could I teach anybody else to do it? How could I guide them in it? But once I can learn how to apply this stuff into my life, then I can say, you know what, Anton, here's, how a, good, here's a good way to do communication. Here's a good way to do leadership. Here's a good way to do this. Because by the time I've removed the log from my eye, Jesus isn't saying, first take the log out of your own eye and then shut it. Is he? He's saying, and then you can see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so he's actually teaching us how to do this. Figure out how to get your own out. According to the way that God has revealed these things into this world. According to the way that revelation, the revelation of Scripture, this isn't my Bible, but according to the revelation of Scripture, how has God taught us to do these things? As I apply those truths to my life, then I can apply them to the lives of others. I see that you're having this problem. You know, I used to struggle with that too. Can I help you through that? Rather than, I'm mad at you, therefore I'm going to make you remove your speck instead of me removing my log. Where does this start? It starts with me. Because you know what? That's faith. 
I'm going to trust God. And what does God call me to do? Remove my own log instead of your speck. Any questions? So as I was laying in bed this morning, God woke me up at about 5.30. It was not me. I did not want to be awake then. Um, It's been a long week. I was was praying about these things. Like, Lord, how do I how do I fulfill that calling of leadership? And I was reminded of something that Pastor Hega did. I'm forgetting his name. He was the dean of the Bible of the Bible camp that I was at, and he led the people in prayer. He led the students in prayer at the end. Instead of him just praying, he led the students in prayer. Now, you know, maybe that's something that that we should do because that's our first step: is to speak these things out. You know, this is what I'm going to do. When we say it forth, it changes us because now we're embodying it. And so as, as I pray, I'm going to do what Jim does. I'm going to have you respond after me to, to say the same thing that I say. Because, you know what? We need these things. Why is our world falling apart? Because we're not living this way. And you know, this goes back to me being leader of this congregation because I might not be the most respected person in this congregation. And that's fine. That's great. And I might not be the most respected person in this world, but as, as pastor of this congregation, I'm called to be the spiritual leader. And so if I'm not, if I don't have my spiritual life straight, that's going to have effect into the rest of the congregation. My sins affect you guys, even if you don't know them, because they affect you guys in the spiritual realm. You want to change our world? The hierarchy of politics, the hierarchy of money, the hierarchy of respect, the hierarchy of whatever that we see in this world, those aren't the real hierarchies. Real hierarchies are spiritual. The monasteries, the monks that interact with the world, they change their worlds. They change the people around them because in the spiritual realm, God made them authorities. And so also us. You want to change America? How many of you would like to see America become more godly? Any of you? You know where that starts? Here. And if I'm walking with the Lord, the Lord will raise me up in the spiritual realm. I might never see it in the physical realm, but that's fine. To be a leader in the spiritual realm. And that's what God's calling you to as well. And so we need to embody these things. What does it mean to embody these things? Well, it starts with us speaking them forth. So, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Forgive me for thinking I see. Teach me that I might see. Teach me that I might see. Grant me the humility to submit to you. Grant me the humility to submit to you. Grant me the humility to apply forgiveness to my life. Grant me Grant me the humility to apply repentance to my life. Grant me the humility to apply repentance to my life. That I might teach others. 
night to each other, that I might live them up, that you might be glorified. I ask this in Jesus' name. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that might feel awkward right now, and it did for me as well. Um, but I'm still learning too, so please be patient. So our final hymn today is, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Please rise and be closed. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.